few weeks ago, Josh asked me, he said, hey, are you going to be open uh, October the 9th? Are you in town? Can you, can you be a part of the, the day and bring the message? I said, let me double check. Yeah, I'm good. And then he said, oh, and by the way, we're going to be going through the Song of Solomon. Um, now, you can do one off and do one of your regular messages, but if you're, you know, you can do that if you want to, but uh, that'd kind of be the cowardly way out. Uh, so I just think you need to go on and be a part of the series. And uh, I, was, I was glad. Uh, I think I am. I'll know by the end of the message whether I was glad or not. Uh, because in all of my years of being a pastor, and that's 35 plus, and preaching thousands of messages, I've only did an overview survey of Song of Solomon. I've never done an actual series. So this was good for me to be able to listen up to, uh, through last week. And wow, if you were here last week, that was a five hot pepper Sunday. Um, it was uh, that kind of a message, but so timely. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to drop back down into this fascinating, fascinating, poetic opera-like song and uh, this composition uh, that, and as we do, we're going to look at uh, one of the biggest mysteries in terms of relationships that you and I encounter on a regular basis within the context certainly of marriage, but even beyond that. So this isn't just for married people or people who want to get married. This actually has a wide application of what we're going to look at this morning. Now, I don't know if you're just joining us, this is your first time in, and you're saying, Song of Solomon, what's that all about? Well, if you know anything about it, you begin to get it. It's just very simple. It has a, a very small cast of characters. You have a, a woman who is called the Beloved. You have a man who is called the lover, appropriately. And then you have friends of the woman, kind of a backup group of singers that are there kind of a, to blend in with the chorus every once in a while. And what you've discovered if you've been going through it, that this is the ultimate primer in an unashamed way on, uh, on, on relationships and passion and marriage and, you know, the, the book itself, or excuse me, this composition itself, begins in a way that no other, no other place in the Bible begins. I mean, think about it. Song of Solomon, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This is not Leviticus. This is, this is something that really kind of jumps into something that arouses our attention almost from the very beginning. It, it's very raw, it's unabashed, it's uninhibited celebration of, of passion and sexual attraction and romance. Now, in other places in the scripture, we have all kinds of very important uh, reminders and warnings about whenever our sexuality is used and abused in you know, such a way that it's destructive. And those are very important, and we need to take those to heart. But you won't find that, those warnings or any kind of, wait a second, take a look at this in Song of Solomon. In fact, this book looks at passion, or this composition, I don't want to call it a book, it's not a book, it's a composition that looks at passion in a way that's so intense, and how it can be lived out in this forever wonderful relationship called marriage, in such a way that it honors God. And it just like says, here it is, and it's very direct it's very intense, like I said, and I don't know how Josh made it through last week, actually. I mean, it's hot and spicy, no doubt about it. Um, so before we do that, and then I want to just kind of lead into it, 
I want to invite you to pray with me that somehow today you'll leave different than you came in. And already we've been moved. Already something has happened. And I just want to build on what's already happened so they can continue as we leave. This should be a transforming sacred space for all of us. And I'm praying that that will happen in your life as well as mine. So let's pray to that end, okay? Father, these are moments that we sometimes uh, see as a Sunday morning, um, a, a part of our routine, uh, an activity, something that is a part of our regular schedule. Um, for some, it may be a first time. But regardless of where we are, these are moments that could literally change the rest of our lives, the trajectory, the direction, where we're headed. So we want to make the most, we want to gather everything and let you speak into our lives today. Thank you for truth that is so reliable, for the beauty and passion that you're going to reveal to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the, the composition itself kind of has like three or four movements in it. That first part of that comp, uh, composition it goes from the very first uh, pages to chapter 3 and verse 5. And it's all about this buildup of anticipation of this couple who has fallen in love. And, of course, that's Solomon and this peasant woman that he has met somewhere along the way. And, and they're just building up this great sense of passion, uh, anticipation. And uh, for that wedding day, that potentiality. Yesterday I sat down with a young couple there. He's a young church planner. He's single, but hey, he's met the love of his life. And come a month from like this next week, he's going to get married. We're sitting down, we're talking, and you could just see it. Every time I'm with them, it's like eh, they're lost. They're just wrapped up in this crazy days right now of anticipation. And that's what you see in those early chapters and early verses. And then you move into chapter 3, verse 5, through chapter 5, verse 1, where you looked at it last week. And all of a sudden, you look into their wedding day, which they give like six verses to. And then they give like 17 verses to the wedding night. And it's obvious that a man wrote this. Uh, so when you start and you take a look at that, and there's this very intimate look at that sexual encounter. And it's, it's, it's very free, and it's a thing that we need to pay attention to. It's a good thing. Now... All of that kind of brings us to where we are today. Very interesting, because the rest of the composition, 25% of, the, of this composition, now begins to speak into what happens after they say I do, and what after happens after that night of honeymoon and that sexual intimacy. What happens for the rest of their married life? And they talk about it. And that's where we're going to look at this mystery that I feel like we need to resolve this morning, that I, I think we'll resolve. Let me, let me kind of pose it this way before we get into the place that we're going to look at in this composition. How is it, think about this, how is it that two people who stand before the wedding altar, before God and man, and literally swear to each other with vows that says, we will love each other forever and forever and forever. You're the only one, you'll be the only one forever and always. How is it that five, ten years, fifteen years later, they hate each other? In fact, they hate each other more than anyone else on the planet. How is it that can happen? How is it that you can have two people 
who say to each other, I just can't stay away from you. But years later, they can't stand to be around each other. How does that happen? How is it that we could take two words that to me just seem to never go together, domestic, I love you, this is the, these are the people that are closest in my life, and violence, I want to hurt you and put them together. Yeah, we see that in our culture. So this big mystery is, I think it's just weird. How could two people one day, so passionately, so resolutely say, you're the one, one and only, forever and always. I'm going to be yours, you're going to be mine. How can that be? I think the answer can be summed up in one very simple word, and I think you're already there. This isn't about divorce. This is about what happens that leads to those kind of crazy moments in life. And that is the word, I'll give you a new word, it's called relation slips. Where there's relation slips. Where there are those moments where through an action, through a a word, misunderstanding, disconnect, growing distance, something has happened and all of a sudden the relationship begins to kind of move south. A relation slip takes place. Now, pause here for just a second. Let me just give you three or four statements before we begin. I'm going to put them up on the screen. They all kind of build on each other. And these are some realities you and I need to grasp and just kind of get a hold of. They kind of represent the larger context for what we're going to talk about today. Here they are. Number one, leading a great life always involves forging and maintaining healthy relationships, especially within a marriage. You can't lead a great life without forging, ongoing, sustaining, healthy relationships. You can't. Especially within marriage. Here's a second. Healthy relationships can't be left to chance. They don't just happen. It takes huge measure of time and investment. It's not just going to be there for you, just like that. You've got to invest A third, kind of build on this. The breakdown of relationships is what? It's inevitable. And the need for repair is constant. And then finally, restoring a relationship isn't difficult to understand, but it is difficult to practice. So do you see the dynamic here? Hey, you want to lead a great life? Got to have healthy, great, growing, maintaining, strong relationships. How do you do that? You know, we got to invest in it. But, oh, by the way, you're going to have an inevitable breakdowns. You're going to need to repair them. And by the way, we get that that needs to happen. But I'm just telling you, it's hard to do. You agree with that? Well, you agree with it or not, it's true. All right? With all of that in mind, I want us to t- drop down into the, this composition now. And we're going to see Solomon and his bride move into conflict. We're going to watch it. We're going to see it happen. And we're going to see how they respond. And there's some great, great lessons for us. Okay? All right? Okay. And I'm looking at this audience and I'm thinking, ah, you've got this down. You don't ever have any conflicts probably. And you probably move through conflicts without any kind of challenge, especially within the marriage. I'm looking at some couples today and you should be probably giving the message today from the way you look this morning. You got it all together. No challenges, right? Any gamers? Any takers? 
No, all right, good. Let's look at what this says. Song of Solomon, beginning at uh, chapter 5, verse 2. All right? By the way, the only couples that don't have conflict are dead couples. This is just an inevitable part. Uh, you got two autonomous people moving into a relationship. So let's look at the, uh, the conflict. Verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. I don't know whether she's in a dream sequence or she's kind of in a sleepy daze and she hears a knock and she's aroused. I don't know what happens. Ah, uh, here we hear the, uh, the, the lover. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet and with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Now what this, let me just kind of cut to the chase real quick, what it is. He's evidently worked late into the night, and maybe even the wee hours of the morning. He's worked overtime, he's come home, come out of the fields, it looks like, and uh, look at the way he addresses her. Uh, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one, I'm home now. Guess what he has on his mind in the middle of the night? Okay, let's go a little further here. Let's watch how this plays out. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? Uh, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? In other words, do I have to get up and let you in? Now, in the Mideastern culture, they often shared different bedrooms. So this is not like she's locked him out on purpose. This is kind of a normal kind of a thing. And she's saying, look... Let me put it in kind of a translation in a Mideastern way of, of, of saying it. Here's what she says. Not tonight. I've got a headache. I, I, you're asking me to get up. I'm tired. Uh, I'm done for the day. Solomon here, boy, he's restless to see her. She's comfortable in bed. He's expressed his adoration for her. And her response, at best, is lukewarm, at best. I'm sure nobody's ever experienced this. Nobody. The married couple here. Let me qualify that. The king essentially says, I love you more than I can ever begin to imagine, more than ever, and I want to make love to you. And, and the princess basically responds, hey, I'm done for the day. The makeup's off. Tomorrow. Later. I'm too tired. Now, as you're looking at this, before we actually kind of break this down, because the way Solomon responds is so helpful, and I want us to see this as we look at it. But I just want to do a little bit of survey here. How many of you are saying, man, I am so with the princess. I am so with the wife on this one. She has every reason. Hey, he's, he's worked late. I mean, how insensitive of him to come knocking on the door after midnight. How many of you are with that? Come on, ladies, be honest. Every one of you are going, absolutely, right? 
How many of you guys are like, look, the man is out working all day. He comes in at night. He just wants a little bit of snuggle time. What's wrong with that? How many of you guys are like, yeah, I get that. Nobody is, one guy is brave and two guys, brave enough to raise their hand. You get the picture. We got a conflict here, don't we? We got an issue here. And I'm not going to try to psychoanalyze why, all, who, what, and whose fault it was and what should have happened. We could, we could kind of write it off as kind of a mutual selfishness, but I think if we do that, we miss everything because I don't think that's what's at work here. Here's what I think as we look at it. I think we'll see from Solomon. Watch his response. He says, My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. What was Solomon's response? Was it anger? Was it knocking on the door harder in a kind of a demanding way? No, it says, my beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled with him. Basically, that's metaphorical language for saying, Solomon leaves her a love note. An affectionate reminder that he longed to be with her. He doesn't push the issue at all. And then verse 5. I rose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the hand, handles of the boat. In other words, she's sensing the, the beauty and the power of what he has just said to her. In other words, in that moment, Solomon's response. Please get this. Solomon's response was patient love. He wasn't challenging her behavior. He wasn't trying to change her. He wasn't demanding. He wasn't complaining. Instead, what does he do? With patient love, he softened her heart. You see the response? See what he does? Hey guys, great takeaway here, isn't there? You can get your spouse to change her behavior by demands. You can. But you've lost. Solomon here, patiently, very graciously, no demands, no complaints, no arguments. And then verse 6. I opened to my beloved, by my love, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Basically, she was saying, I, I, I died on the inside over what just happened here. My momentary moment of withdrawing and, and pushing him away, so to speak, by the time I got to the door, he just had not gone away in anger, but he wasn't anywhere to be found. I couldn't find him, and my heart sank. Now, I, I want to just pause here because there's a wonderful, challenging message here for all of us when it comes to dealing with conflict, particularly in marriage, but all relationships. Here it is. The first response in the mix and the challenge of conflict is to step back. To step back. And by step back, what I mean is discern. 
to discern. Step back and pay attention to what is going on inside of you. So often when there's a conflict, whenever there's an issue, something happens within our marriage and action, or there's something that takes place that really creates some super tension, and you, you know it's there, and emotions are aroused. We, the first response is not really a response, it's a reaction. And we just step right into it with a word, with, a, with some kind of action. What Solomon does is he stepped back. He didn't press. And here's a challenge for all of us. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you. Let's talk about marriage for just a moment in regard to that. When people get married, I think one of the things that happened to them over time, you know, maybe, I don't know when this fight occurred between Solomon and his wife, this conflict. I don't know whether it was their, after their first night together after their night of intimacy, I don't know whether it was the fight after the night. I don't know when it was. It may have taken time a little bit later. But there's a time in your marriage where you're going to face this kind of, uh, I would call it kind of a shocking sense of awareness. And you're going to say something like this, not out loud. You might say it to some other people. Hopefully you don't. But you might say, you know, I just didn't expect it to be like this. I didn't expect it to be like this. Um, and there just kind of goes this way. You have unrealistic expectations, which become unmet expectations, which turn into unfulfilled desires, which leads to disappointment. Unrealistic expectations become unmet expectations, which lead to unfulfilled desires, which always leads to disappointment and oftentimes despair. And we don't understand that sometimes. Um, this last summer, as we try to do, we, we get all of our family together, our entire crew, there's like 16 of us, and we usually try to rent a house somewhere and and typically it's the beach because most everybody likes that. So this last year, they, we found this incredible looking house. At least it looked that way on the website. And the house literally itself was great in a lot of ways. But what it didn't show was that the house was on the corner of the main drag through where we were staying. And while it was a great place... We were right in the middle of everything. We thought we were only going to, you know, the way it would pose itself was we're not terribly far from the beach. Well, we weren't, except we were also right on the main street. We didn't, we didn't, the website didn't tell us the whole story. And a lot of times when we step into a married relationship, where have we been before we got into that married relationship? We've been in the, the website of romance where everything looks so, so good, we couldn't see anything else. We're just wrapped up in it. We can't imagine ever not loving this person in the way that we love them, can't be with them. And then we step out of the website into the reality. And that's challenging. Let me put it the way Paul David Tripp put it. You are a sinner married to a sinner. Welcome to married life. And not only that, we live in a very fallen, broken world, and every day that fallen, broken world has an effect on us. 
And so anytime there's a, there's a conflict in your marriage, anytime something happens that arouses a certain sense of tension between you and even hostility towards each other and where you want to push each other away, anytime that starts happening, instead of pushing back, step back and say, what happened here? What's going on here? You realize, don't you, that in every marriage what you do, you and I do what? We bring massive baggage into it. We have experiences. We have life-shaping moments that affect who we are and how we feel. And we bring all of that into, into our marriage. And guess what we're good at? We're very good at monitoring our spouse's behavior and how they should have behaved. But we're very poor at any sense of self-awareness about our own fallenness and brokenness. So when there's a conflict in a marriage, what's the first thing that we do? We look at the other person, we look at our spouse, and we think, you caused this. What's wrong with you? Instead of backing up and going, wait a second. What happened there? Why am I feeling this way on the inside? What does that say about me? What does that say about my problems? We're looking to our spouse many times to make us feel a certain way. And when they don't meet those expectations, then we have a problem with them. And they say, you brought out this what is in me, so it's your fault. When instead we should be saying, what is broken inside of me? So what Solomon is showing us here is instead of looking at her as though somehow or another she had done something wrong, Psalm is wise enough to back up and to reach out to her with a sense of patient love. And when there's conflict in a marriage, the first thing is not to find fault with the other person and try to point out all the things that they've done wrong, not to meet your expectations, but to back up and ask yourself, what's going on inside of me? To pay attention to what's happening inside of you. And you know what often we do when it comes to conflict, don't you? We are very good at being very pretentious, which is another kind word for hiding. Sometimes we deliberately withdraw. Sometimes we are very good at blaming. Sometimes we go and tell others to try to get people to align themselves with us. None of which is healthy. What's so important is to be able to go, what's going on inside of me? To be able to go, why am I so angry? Why do I feel unappreciated? Why do I feel unlovable? Why do I feel stupid? Why do I feel alone? Why do I feel rejected? Why do I feel betrayed? Why do I feel picked on? Why do I feel jealous? Ask yourself those kind of questions. What's going on inside of me? Pay attention to what's happening inside of you. Step back. Um, Gil and I were married on St. Patrick's Day, uh, the Saturday before spring break of college. It seemed like the best time to do it, so we got married and we had a great wedding. And, and the honeymoon... I would. I don't even want to describe to you because it was so lame. But the, the and it wasn't because of Gail. It was because of what we did. We went to churches and seminaries. 
That is not exactly a great way to spend uh, your, uh, your honeymoon. But I mean, I'm just, you know, we've been in a dating relationship. We're just caught up in love with each other. We're so excited. But I'm talking like three or four days into the dating, uh, into the marriage. We have this major blow up there on the Dallas freeway. And I'm sure Gail was going, what have I got myself into? And then sometime later, when we had moved into married housing, her parents decided to drop by one night. Well, the time that they dropped by was just after I had encouraged her to change the meal that she had planned for the night, not knowing that she had taken great lengths to prepare a great meal for me, but I thought something else would be much better. I'm only describing that, I'm just telling you that was where our marriage began, but over time, over the years, and Gail and I were just recently, here's a comment she recently made to me. She said, It's so good that we talk like this. Years ago, we would have never talked like this. It's a growing sense of self-awareness that says, this isn't a conflict about what we're going to have for dinner. This isn't a conflict about some uh, disagreement. Something's going on in the inside of us. Let's talk about that. Step back. Discern, pay attention. What just happened here? I spent a lot of time on this first one because I think that's where so often we get off track. Unrealistic expectations, unmet expectations, unfulfilled desires, despair, disappointment. Why? Because we're looking to them to do something for us, and when they don't, we think we've got a problem because they haven't met my expectations. When all along, the big challenge is, what's happening inside of me? Where do I need help? Where do I need to grow? Where do, what do I need to understand? Self-awareness. It's huge. It's huge. We could stop there, but we got a little bit more to cover, all right? Let's go on. Let's see how this plays out. Right now, she's in a place he's gone. <laughs> verse 7. It's a little bit challenging verse here to explain. I'm just going to give a very quick explanation of it. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. This is why I think perhaps this is a, a, a metaphorical language. I don't think this is actual, literal happened to her. I think what she's basically saying in poetic language is, this is a painfully difficult time for me. My heart is crushed. I, I, I'm broken over this. It's, it's a big deal to her, and conflict should be. It shouldn't just be sloughed off. And then verse 8, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, this is that background group, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love, and then they say in response, what is your beloved more than another beloved? Almost beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you uh, thus adjure us? Basically translated is, what makes your man so hot, girlfriend? What is it about him? And then she gives them a very long, again, rip of descriptions why she loves him so much. Ladies, take note. This is great, great notes to, to take, to remember when you want to express how you feel about your husband. All right? You can cut and paste this. 
My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. He's radiant and lustrous. Everything about him is intensely desirable to me. And, and then she compliments him ten different ways, which in the Hebrew is like the, word, is like the number seven. It represents perfection. She's like saying he's the perfect man. And I'm going to describe him. Look how she describes him. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy. Some of us might have a little problem with that one. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. He's tall, dark, and handsome with captivating eyes. His cheeks are like bed of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His lips have a, a life-giving power. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. He's ripped. I was trying to think of somebody in the room that I could go, he looked like him, but I haven't seen anybody uh, like that. (laughs) Verse 15, his legs are an alabaster column set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars, strong and muscular. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughter. Look at that. And my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. His speech is gentle and tender. There's a total absence of fear when I'm around him. I'm secure, regardless of conflict. We're tight. He's my friend, my best friend. Wow. Guys, get something like that, that'll, that'll make you respond. And then verse 6, 1. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek after him? So what happens? They're going to go and find him. They're going to go find him. Here's step two. Step one was what? Step back. Discern. Pay attention to yourself. Here's step two. Step toward. Pursue. Exercise the humility to change and the courage to forgive. What happens most often when it comes to conflict and within marriage and with other conflicts? <laughs> you know what it is? We're waiting for the other person to make the what? First move. And we stand with arms folded, not literally, but within our heart, and we're closed, and we keep people at a distance. And as a result... Nothing happens. And then when somebody does actually make a move toward you, the other part of it is we often on the inside say, I'm just not for sure I'm ready to accept what you're telling me. Right? And that's silly. When the relationship means everything in the world to you. Two most powerful words in a marriage are are not, I love you. Those are not the most powerful words. Most powerful words is, I love you so much that I can't imagine us being in a place like this, and I'm willing to do anything and everything, and I'm willing to acknowledge, accept responsibility. I'm willing to step into it with you. I'm willing to get into the tunnel of chaos with you so on the other side of it, we can come out on that side, and we can find that that relationship is as secure as ever. I'm willing to do that, and I'm sorry. To step into it. I want you to see something here for just a second. 
And then I want to jump into something very quickly. Every decision, every word in your moment of conflict, you will either move a step further or you will move a step closer. So every time there's conflict, ask yourself, is what I'm going to do, is how I'm going to respond, is it going to step away or is it going to step closer? Pursue, take the risk. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but it doesn't matter. This isn't about pride. This is about humility. This is about having the capacity to forgive, to release, to overcome in such a way that it's done, taken care of. Ephesians 5, and I I don't have time to go through this, but it's a New Testament parallel here that is so very full of truth. I just want to walk through it very quickly with you. Ephesians 5, and we're about to wrap things up. Verse 25, he talks about how we relate to each other, healthy relations. Watch this in the context of marriage. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. When you're in a conflict, speak honestly. Be angry and do not sin calmly. Don't let your anger come out in such a way that it's rage. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It needs to be timely, in the appropriate time. Verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Hold on to that one. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Is it going to tear down or build up graciously? Patient love. And then in verse 30 and 31, let, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All, all, dig it all up. Don't let any emotion, negative emotion hang around completely. And then be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Do it in the sense of hopefully knowing how that God, through his love and grace, extended toward us. That same kind of thing, can dynamic can be at work in our relationship. And we can have this incredible relationship where there's complete forgiveness. Do you get that? Honestly, calmly, timely, graciously, completely, hopefully. Now let me wrap things up. Let's go back to the song and finish up. Verse 2 of chapter 6. My beloved is gone. Where is he? He's gone down to the garden to the beds of spices to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. She has some sense of where he is. And in this wonderful verse, I, uh, prose, I am my beloved, so my beloved is mine. He, he grazes among the lilies. We don't need to be afraid because we are so committed to each other. We can confidently resolve any issue within the security of our marital relationship. There is, there, 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 there's never going to be a day, he says, never going to be a time, she says, where we will ever, ever walk away from our marriage. We will work through it. We will not walk away. If water gets in the boat, we won't bail out. We'll get the water out of the boat. We'll work through it. Let me pause here because you have to say it in our day and time. If you're in a, and this is a very important to understand, if you are in an abusive relationship, you step out of that, you get to people that can give you the safety that you need. You don't stay in a relationship like that. 
that needs to be understood. I'm not talking about that kind of extreme. Let's go back. You are beautiful as Taraz, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. He sees her coming. He looks on her face. Then he says, turn away your eyes from me. Now, why is he saying that? He says, I want to make sure that you know, girl, when I see you, you overwhelm me. And I don't want to get caught up in the whole intimate physical thing. I want to just connect with your soul. And then he goes on this, once again, description of her that he's described before. Your hair is like fox of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost a chunk. You know what that means? She's got a full set, uppers and lowers, and they're all good. He praises her hair, her smile, her lips, just like he did on their honeymoon night. Your cheeks are halves of a pomegranate beyond, behind your veil. Um, and then kind of an interesting verse, verse 8. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. What is he talking about here? He's basically saying is there's no one but you. You're unique. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed, queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Verse 10, who is this that looks down like the, looks down, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? <laughs> what is he doing here? And then go on to, might as well go and read verse 11. I went down to the to the, to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley to see whether the, the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. He's just described her in ways that remind her of why he loved her in the first place. And then she responds with a verse in verse 11, and she says, by the way, are we good? Are we good? we okay? And how does he respond? Verse 12. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsmen, a prince. Absolutely, it's over. Let's move on. You know what the best part of conflict is? Making up. And the after part that comes with that. What is he saying to her? Verse 13, return, O Shulamite. This is the first time he calls her that. Return, that we may look upon you. The word Shulamite is the feminine of Solomon. And what he's basically saying is, we're not only good, but we're one. And it's going to be better than ever before. Step three, pretty simple. Step beyond, renew. Go back and remember, look forward, and move forward. See it? Very simple. When you're in the midst of conflict, step back. Pay attention to what's going on inside. Discern. Step two, when you're in that place, step toward. Have the capacity to forgive, the courage, humility. And then step three, step beyond. Renew. Say, it's done. It's over. We're good, girl. We're ready to move in to an incredible future. It's going to be better than ever. When Gail and I first got married in our seminary housing we had a little needlepoint above our bed, and it says, Come, grow old with me, the best is yet to be. We still have that after 
44 years of marriage. Um, and I would probably change it from standpoint of come grow old with me. I think I would probably um, change it to come grow close to me for the best is yet to be. And it is. And what makes all this possible is what Christ did for us. You know it. Maybe you've heard this. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he's given us. Because of what God did through Christ on the cross, blotting out our sins, he's given us the capacity when Christ is in our life, no matter what the conflict, to move through the conflict and to have a transformed relationship that's full of grace. Where do you need to step today? Step back. Step toward. Step beyond. Within the marriage. Within your relationships. Which one is it? Where do you need to go? With the model and the power of Christ through the cross at work in and through you. Let's pray together. Father, we started today by saying this is amazing grace. We pray that somehow in some way that all that we've learned and experienced this morning, regardless of whether it's in our marriage or in a relationship with a co-worker or somebody within our family or just somebody along the way that we've met and now there's some challenges in the relationship, that, Father, you would speak into that moment and you would help us to see that through the cross we learn just as you do not count our sins through us, through the sacrificial death of Christ, through our humble willingness to move forward and move toward, just as you move toward us. Conflict doesn't have to destroy relationships. Instead, it can make them better than ever. And we pray that would happen today through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.